what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. I'm Alan. Over there's Chris. Hello, listeners. Across the table from me. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You really- holding up okay? Because, I mean, we, we'll go ahead and tell everybody we kind of had a late night. Um, we did. The nice 1030 screening of Gone Girl yes. preceded by uh, probably about 20, 25 minutes of previews Yes, uh, with an already long movie to begin with makes for a very long evening. And here we are recording first thing in the morning, the morning after. So you're, you're with me, right? You're awake. We also had a uh, screening for our Foot Candle members here in uh, Hickory, North Carolina of um, Life Itself, the Roger Ebert documentary. Yes. So immediately back before to that. Back films. Yes. Yeah, so we've been kind of going movie strong since about <laughs> six o'clock last night. And, uh, Hopefully our voices hold up. Hopefully our, our mental energy holds up throughout the recording as well. But as we just alluded to, having seen a late night screening of the film Gone Girl, that will be one of our first reviews on the show today as we talk about the latest David Fincher directed Ben Affleck starring Gone Girl uh, film that you probably have heard a little bit about. The other film we're going to review during the show today is probably a film you have not heard a lot about called Life of Crime, starring Jennifer Aniston and a slew of other characters, including Tim Robbins. We'll talk about that film that's available on iTunes or Amazon now to rent as we as we speak. We're going to have some movie news. We're going to have our recommendations for the month, maybe an older film or a film we think you ought to check out that you may have overlooked in the past. All that's going to be here on Foot Candle Films on today's episode. Before we get started, though, I do want to put out a special thank you and a shout out to the Greater Hickory Kia Classic Golf Tournament. They have been a great supporter of the mesh here for quite some time, the last several weeks now, uh, and we've been really happy to be a partner with them. They have a tournament coming up on October 13th through the 19th of 2014, so really here in just about a week or so. Once we publish this episode, it's going to be within days of that coming out. Um, it's going to be at the Rock Barn Golf and Spa uh, golf, uh, golf course in Conover, North Carolina, which is really just right down the road from the headquarters of the Mesh Studios here in Western North Carolina. Uh, they put on a great tournament. I'm hoping to get out there as a spectator. I'm not a golfer, but I will admit going out to the tournament has been a lot of fun the last few years to see all the activity. They put on a great show there, great uh, performances, great uh, athletes coming in to play golf and it's just a, it's a good time. It's a really good time, really well done at the Rock Barn Golf and Spa, uh, Conover, North Carolina, which is located in Western North Carolina. If you're interested or would like to get tickets or just learn more about the tournament, you can go to greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. All one word, greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. Thank you to the Greater Hickory Key Classic for being a supporter of the mesh. And uh, if you happen to be in the area for the tournament next weekend, drop us a line. Let us know that you made it into town to come to the golf tournament. And you're welcome to come by our studio and say hi and see where all this magic happens <laughs> right here around this little our little podcasting table. So, Chris, are you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. We're going to jump right into our first big review, which is, as I mentioned, David Fincher's latest film starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike, and it is Gone Girl. As you all know, my wife, Amy Elliott Dunn, 
disappeared three days ago. Where she goes, I've got to be. The meaning of my life is she. She. Stay back, everybody, stay back. I did not kill my wife. I am not a murderer. With Gone Girl, Chris, we have a film that is an adaptation of a novel by uh, Gillian Flynn, uh, supposedly well-respected re- well book. I mean, many people I know have read the, read the novel and uh, seems to have been on bestseller list. You know me. I'm not a reader. Okay, If it's <laughs> right. not a trade journal, magazine, website article, I'm not going to read it typically. So this is one of those films where I hear interesting performances. I hear there may be some plot twists and turns throughout it. I hear that you know, it may or may not be what you expect when you get into it. More importantly, I hear it's directed by David Fincher, who I'm a fan of. Uh, I still think Fight Club is probably in my top 10 films, favorite films, which he did many years ago with Brad Pitt. I think Zodiac, even though I did not appreciate it when I saw it, I saw even in the film I liked the least of his probably, I still found plenty of things I really liked. Hmm. Uh, seven great film. Um, even going back to alien three, his first feature film that really, you know, he got attention for not a great film, but just the visual flourishes he put into a film like that were really strong. So here we have a film starring Ben Affleck as Nick Dunn. And the whole story starts off with basically his wife's disappearance, his wife, Amy, who is a well-respected author and uh, a little bit of a celebrity status to her. She's well-known for having a certain line of books and, I think, novels that she's written, if I remember correctly. or Her parents had written them, and she was Written them about a, her. Right. Yeah, right. so she's kind of a little pseudo-celebrity from oh, that. absolutely, yeah. yeah. She goes missing, disappears, and there's a lot of hints, allegations, things floating around. The media circus surrounding this becomes just overwhelming. And that's really all I'm going to say at this point about the plot of the film, because that's really the first 30, 40 minutes of the film. And then it goes on from there. Yeah. So with that, Chris, yeah. we talked about this a little bit after watching the film. We both knew going in that there were going to be twists and turns. Sure. So knowing that going into a film like this, how did that affect your enjoyment of this film? In other words, if you went into it completely blind, not knowing anything, probably like you would have the next film we're going to review life of crime mm-hmm. and you went in that film, not knowing anything. And then you enjoy the film for what it is versus knowing with a film like this, that there is this expectation of the past that's going to lead you on. Does that affect your enjoyment? And with this particular film, did it make or break this film for you knowing that there was some shift in tone shift in plot that happens throughout the film? Yeah, I, I will say uh, we're we're going to be good hosts. We're going to you know talk about the movie, but dance around things. Yeah, we're going to try not to spoil it. Sure. Uh, we may later on in the conversation, if we feel like we get to a point where we have to, we'll throw up a little caution red flag and let you know. But <laughs> as it is, you're safe to listen to this, even if you haven't seen the film yet. I I wanted to see this film. One of the reasons you and I went to go see it late last night was I wanted to see it before anything was spoiled for yeah. me because Same I'd here. heard all this build up. And that there was things that were kind of, you know, quote unquote secrets, kind of like in the crying game. There was a secret with that Mm -hmm. usual suspects. There's a secret with that movie. The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. uh, You know, I kind of ran the same situation when the Sixth Sense came out many years ago. I hadn't planned on seeing it. But when everybody started talking about it around me, it was one of those where I realized 
I didn't want to be ruined, right. so I needed to go ahead and see it before somebody accidentally spilled the beans in front of me. So, so knowing that with this movie, it it was distracting. Okay, um, it was distracting for me because as it's set up, you know, it is a drama, a mystery, a thriller. You know, that's how the mm-hmm. categories that it falls into. So. I'm kind of waiting, you know, going in and you know that, you know, he's, his wife's disappeared. What happened? You know, and the, the tagline is even kind of like, did he do it or did mm-hmm. he not? You know? Right. And it's so distracting because you're waiting for the second shoe to fall. You're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting, that's you're waiting for a twist yeah. so you can kind of relax and say, oh, okay, I got it. When a surprise happens in this film, it did take me by surprise. And I was, like you said, it only happened in the first Thirty or forty minutes when it kind of occurs. It's actually, think, pretty early roughly. on, earlier on than you might expect with a film like this. So right, and so that was um, a pleasant surprise, and I, I, uh, I, I think even if I had known the surprises, it still would have been an interesting watch. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you know, obviously, to go in with no knowledge of it, I, I was, I was happy that I was able to do that. Um, well, that was going to be my follow-up question. If somebody had spoiled this for you and told you, oh, here's exactly what happens. Would you have still seen and found value in this movie and liked it? And I guess ultimately, in the end, regardless, did you like this movie? Uh, like is a weird word to bat around. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of something similar. And the only thing I can come up with off the top of my head would be actually Zodiac. Mm-hmm. I think you and I actually did see that together when we it did. came out. I admired that movie. And I was entertained by that movie. Not like, you know, thought it was funny. Or, you know, right. but it, was, it kept me... It kept me interested. Yeah. It kept me engaged as sure. a viewer. But to say I liked that movie mm-hmm. would be troubling because it wasn't a pleasant sit-through movie. I was glad I saw it. I felt like I learned something about that. That was based on events, you know, the Zodiac Killer out in California, based on events that actually happened. So I felt like I was educated maybe a little mm-hmm. bit. But the feeling I left the movie theater with was very icky. Yeah. <laughs> so – um. I was icky but entertained. <laughs> icky but entertained. But entertained. That's going to be the tagline. That needs to be on the poster. Right. Icky but entertaining. So. Uh, and with with a Gone Girl, even though you know this is like you said, it was based on a novel, so I should be kind of able to sit that aside and say, okay, it's fiction. I don't let certain things bother me and make me feel icky because it's fiction, you know. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I left with kind of a, a, a very the exact same feeling. And so I admire the movie. I'm glad I saw it, but I don't, and yeah, I don't know that I can say that I like it mm-hmm. <laughs> because, right. just because it's so odd and off putting. Right. Um, well, how, how are your feelings about it? Well, I, I will say this. I, I, I wish I didn't know that there were going to be twists and turns and even us saying this in this review for anybody listening. Yeah, that doesn't know. Go in, unfortunately, unfortunately we've set an expectation that things are going to be, twisted around on you and well they are we're sorry we're, we're letting you know that that's about the most we're going to try to spoil on this but I, I think I think we're actually you know unfortunately you know, we're talking about the movie but if you are interested in seeing it go see it soon before yeah. somebody can so at least we're kind of saying like you know you probably do want to see this movie before it could be ruined for you I, I will say I um, I like films that take a tone shift mm. uh, and kind of keep you on your toes mm-hmm this film absolutely did that. I think I even mentioned to you last night that this is, to me, probably one of the more, more dramatic tone shifts in a film that I've seen. 
in a major Hollywood film. Sure. I mean, not looking at small independent films that try to be really strange and quirky. This is, for it being such a big Hollywood film, for it to honestly, halfway through the film, the tone honestly just shifts. Even to the point, and again, I'm really not trying to spoil anything, but actually it becomes somewhat comedic, which really kind of threw me for a while, how it turned into a whole different type of story. Right. Well, And I liked it. I still enjoyed it even when it got to the second phase of the story. Mm-hmm. Like most films, I, I, I don't think it stuck the ending as well for me. I think the ending, the last portion, the last really 15 minutes felt very rushed. And I actually wanted to kind of feel... I really wanted to absorb that situation that we're left with at the end a little bit more. Actually, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I can I hear what you're saying, but and at last night, you know, I kind of mentioned something to you, like I was dissatisfied, not from a film standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, which gave me the icky feeling on how things kind of concluded and mm-hmm. how the movie ended. But now that I've had a little bit of time to think about it, not a lot, because <laughs> we are recording this early. But um, I think that's actually a masterstroke of the film. Really? Because the way the film is going and the, the things, that, the themes that it presents, and, you know, I, you know it talks about the media mm-hmm. and about being married mm-hmm. and struggling with who you are as a person or who you want to be and how people might perceive you and the person you're aspiring to be and that you try to be in this marriage. And... Um, the, the themes that it – and it doesn't want to give you any answers. Right. And at the end, it's just kind of like, okay, and now we're ending. Yeah. And that was one of the challenges for me watching it. I was like, how is this movie going to end? Mm-hmm. I don't really understand. And they weren't interested in tying a neat bow on it. Or, no. And I didn't need a neat bow. Sure, sure. It's just from I, the I moment – I think actually, interestingly enough – I didn't need it, but I kind of wanted it because it had disconcerted me. So well, much, it was. Which I, is I think you me. could have walked out of the theater with a much more pleasant feeling if you had a little more of a neat bow ending to it. And you don't get that with this. No, no. It really does pretty much cut at a point where you're like, okay, well, that's where we're leaving it. And that's it. Really the point where, and again, no spoilers. I'm being very vague. But a certain character from the film arrives, I'll say bloodied, because again, I'm, I'm not giving too much away. But a bloodied character arrives for some sort of encounter from that point where that person emerges to the end, I just felt like was really kind of quick, 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 and then get to this, this end, which I'm happy with where it ended. I just wanted more breathing room in that last 20 minutes because to me, that situation that was being set up was really interesting. Oh yeah. And I kind of wanted to really understand the dynamics of that situation a little bit more. And I felt like it was very scattershot. Well, and if considering how it's a long film, and we really took a lot of time going through a lot of the other parts of this film, the setup, the initial her 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 disappearance, all the media attention with it, all the facts that they're uncovering, then you get into some other subplot areas, and it, it the, everything took its time. Right. And then you got to that last fifteen twenty minutes, it just seemed like it was okay. Let's hustle this up, and now let's get to our closing. Again, I like the closing. I just. I needed a little bit more to build up to make that ending even more jarring for me, you know? Yeah, I can, I can see that. And I think if you were to try to divide the movie up into thirds, you know, the first third, second third, they did spend, spend plenty of time in both of those. Yes. And then I can see how it was kind of a 
the rock was rolling downhill in that yeah. last third and they just kind of zipped uh, through it. That's what I felt like. Yeah. I don't know if, um, since it's based on the book and I actually haven't read this book. So I usually mm-hmm. like usually movies that are based on books. A lot of times I've already read. I don't know if the book similarly was not interested in spending as much time in that mm-hmm. final little bit. Because it, like we said, it does make comments on marriage and on the media. And maybe by the third part, it was just interested in kind of ending, ending the story. It felt sure. like he had already made, had enough meat in the other part. So maybe so. I don't know. Something I saw on um, the internet that I was kind of interested about when I was looking at um, stuff online last night after watching the film, supposedly the uh, screenwriter and the, uh, the screenplay writer, Gillian Flynn, who mm-hmm. also wrote the book. Yes. She supposedly gave the screenplay a different ending from mm-hmm. the book. Okay. Um, now I would be interested. I'm very curious <laughs> to listeners out there. If you, when you see the movie, if just because not because, you know, a book should stand on its own, a movie should stand on its own, but I'm really curious giving those first two parts of the film, mm-hmm. how the third part could end as effectively right. in the book if it is different. True. So I would, I would be interested in your listeners well. yeah. write in if you've read the book. Um, so, yeah, performance-wise. Um, right. Sure. That's the way I was I going as well. Yep. to touch on was mm-hmm. you mentioned you know the tonal shifts, which there were in the movie. I'm wondering if specifically a tonal shift happened because of Ben Affleck's performance. Um, all right. Well, Ben Affleck's performance, I'm not a fan of Mr. Affleck. I think I've gone on public record with that. I think if you look through the archives you're of our recordings. On, you're rough on him in Argo, I believe. I was. I did not <laughs> care. I think he was the only bad spot of Argo as an actor. Um, I, I feel he's very wooden, very one note. I did not like him in, uh, what was the, the Malick film, To the Wonder? To the Wonder. Yeah. I mean, it just he's playing the same character of the same note. Here... I thought he was going to be putting in an interesting performance because in the first third, I really was kind of liking where he was going with it. But then when there's a tonal shift and a, a little bit in shift in story, there's also a shift in character. At least I, that's what I perceived, and I didn't care for it. it. He became the standard Ben Affleck character about midway through the film, through the end, and that I, I had no interest in that. Mm-hmm. He didn't do anything to elevate this film. I don't think he killed it at all, but he didn't help it at all either. I think you could have gotten any other good quality actor in this role and been just fine with it. You, you know, I, he is the lead actor in this film Mm -hmm. and I felt like he faded into the background and it didn't bother me because I was more interested in the story than to watching performances, I guess. Um, and it wasn't until after the film when we were talking where you kind of criticized his performance in some Mm -hmm. aspects and it made me think that maybe somebody else maybe wouldn't have done it that way or, you yeah. know, would have, would have kept more of a steady, a steady performance. Well, maybe. I, I like him playing the jerk and the schlub and which he got to play for a while, but there was a point where he kind of stopped playing that role. And I don't think it was, I don't think it was that in the story and then the, 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 the screenplay, they said, we're going to have this character change. I just mm-hmm. think the plot around him changed and he adapted to the plot as opposed to staying consistent as a character. And I thought it was, it was a little jarring for me. I mean, by the end of the film, I'm like, okay, what he ended up with the same kind of character. I always see Ben Affleck playing, which I don't like. <laughs> so that was disappointing for me. However, I will say, uh, Rosamund Pike as the lead actress is Amy as the missing girl. As the gone girl. Uh, we see her really a lot in flashback. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of her time is in flashback. 
And uh, I think she was amazing. I thought she really just, she made this film for me. I think if you did not have that part played right and some of the different things she had to do in those flashbacks and scenes where we see her, uh, if those didn't work for you, the story doesn't work for you. Well, and I think her performance may have been why I didn't focus that much on Ben Affleck because she was giving kind of the performance for the ages. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she's nominated for best actress. I would wholeheartedly for, encourage that for this yeah. uh, film. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one of the, yeah, it's a performance for the ages really yes. um, in the flashbacks and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. What did you think of um, some of the other performances mm-hmm. in the film? Cause like you said, there are, there are a lot of performers in there. Neil, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, mm-hmm. uh, what Kim Dickens, who plays the, the detective that's trying mm-hmm. to solve what's going on. I, I thought they were all really good. I actually, I like Tyler Perry in the role as the, the kind of the hotshot lawyer. I mean, he, you know, he's a defense attorney, he's a defense yeah. attorney, but he, he played it like you would expect to be played. It was good. It was competent. Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, again, I don't want to get into too much here, but his, his, his character was a little bit of a caricature, but again, by, by plan, huh? I thought, but I liked it. I liked this performance. I just thought it was a little, a bit cartoonish at times. Really? Uh, yeah, That's interesting. I did. I just, yeah, again, I'm having a hard time getting sure, into it sure, without sure, talking sure. about it, but I, I thought he was good. Oh yeah. But yeah. I also, as I mentioned, I thought there was a point where the film took that tonal shift and he was part of that tonal shift as well, hmm. where a subplot involving him, I thought is where the shift in the film, the tone really, I don't want to say comedy because it's definitely not a comedy, but it got more of a, <laughs> it got more of a, uh, oh gosh, I can't even think of the good word for it. It's not comedic. It, it was not a, a sarcastic tone. It was a, it got to be a little tongue in cheek at sometimes. Huh. By design, because again, oh gosh, this is so tough to talk about. Interesting. Because of the change we learn about, because of the situation we learn about it, 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 it puts a whole different slant on I, the situation. I really And liked, he, he played a key part in that. I really liked his performance. I, I, and I didn't, I think I know where you're going and I, I didn't, didn't struggle with mm-hmm. that. The tone shifts that you mentioned with Ben Affleck and his performance, some of the problem, or if, you know, to say I had a problem Tyler Perry playing the lawyer, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that he does and some of the lines that he has are kind of played for a little bit of comedic effect. Yes. And that, that surprised me and kind of, I mean, but should the guy playing for comedic effect who does Medea in all his movies, should that really surprise me? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I thought he did a great job and I was pleased to see, cause I haven't seen any Tyler Perry joints um, that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> And I know that he's been in other serious movies. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the first role I've really seen him in, maybe. He and had a very small part in the uh, the Star Trek reboot film. Oh, really? Yeah, he was like one of the, the judges on the uh, huh. Galactic Court or whatever it was. Okay. So not a huge role. Sure. But, yeah. but I, I, I thought he did a good job, but just the way he was, his character was used kind of surprised But me. remember, his character got brought in during that second film phase of the film which is where he's mentioned in the first he's mentioned yeah but he doesn't become a character a real part of the plot until the second part just like 
uh, just like uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character doesn't really come into a factor until the second phase either. That's what I'm saying. That second phase is just a whole different tone of a film. Sure. And those two characters help to make that a whole different tone. They're not really present at all. Very fleeting presence in the first third. That's why the first third had this one tone. Second phase had the second tone. And then the third phase, which I thought, there again, going on? <laughs> third phase I thought was still too brief and too quick, sure. but had a even different tone. So I think those two characters, I liked watching them. I thought they were interesting to watch, but they both lended more to this. And again, it's not comedic. It's just, it's a little more of a, just a, a whole different take on the story. Hmm. You know, again, people, once you see the film, you'll know exactly what we're talking about here. <laughs> it's just, it's hard to dance around it right now. Sure. What did you um, Go ahead. Being a Fincher film, you know, yeah. one of the reasons he's admired, granted, has a lot to do with the director of photography, the cinematographer, but did this feel, did this feel like a Fincher oh, film? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just, you could have shown me five minutes of this film, any part of five minutes of this film, and I would have been able to say, oh yeah, it's David Fincher. Gotcha. It's the look of it, the tone, the pacing of the film, some of the cutaways, there's just some, some, inter- some shots that kind of just help you set your mood. Mm-hmm. There's a couple really interesting shots with, um, cat there's a cat in the house which i thought was kind of interesting a couple of the uses of the cat uh i tell you i I thought some of the most visually interesting shots because the media circus was such a big deal about this there's so many shots where they're inside the house of nick's house Mm -hmm. and the media surrounding the house and you've got lights and camera lights flashing through the windows and just Mm -hmm. creating this strobe effect even inside the house even when they're completely physically separated from the media right all of this flashing of lights and everything kind of was really interesting to watch uh, so yeah absolutely david fincher up and down <laughs> from a directing standpoint i thought it was great i thought the pacing was great except for that last that last phase no nah, i think it was a very very well made film if you were you know we've discussed we've hit on a lot of the films in his filmography a lot of people hold Zodiac up as his acme. That's mm. his like best film. What what would you think is his best film, and how do you think this? Well, fits I, in? I think Fight Club is his best film, okay. just because I, I'm probably more of a personal opinion on that. But I just think the style of that film he was doing he was throwing a lot more into the kitchen sink in that film. Mm-hmm. Zodiac had a much more straightforward style to it. Mm-hmm. But it was also very the atmosphere he created in that film was very very effective. Um, and taking a what could have just been a typical police procedural and making it a very interesting, stylish film to watch. Fight Club was really so heavy style, but yet there was a really strong story behind it too. Um, so Fight Club's my favorite. I'd say after Fight Club, I, I mean, I like Seven. I'm actually a guy, I, I enjoyed Benjamin Button. It's not my favorite, but I did like it. I just, Zodiac, I need to go back and revisit it again, quite honestly. Yeah, I you know, I said that I didn't, really know how I felt about this film as far as saying I liked it. Mm. But um, I do think Fincher is an interesting director. I'm not big on Seven. Um, mm. There again, it's that whole icky thing. Yeah. But that's a different type of movie, too. That's not, you know, it's just trying to, it's more of just like a thriller. Right. You know, it doesn't have dramatic, as much dramatic mm. elements. Not I mean, as it much, does, but yeah. But, you know, it's a little more traditional police thriller. Police yeah. thriller, yeah, procedural thriller. Yeah. Um, I I would almost say that I think that for me I could see how this could be his masterpiece above Zodiac, um, and a lot of that has to do I guess with the story and the screenplay, but just how how it's woven together and I don't know it's hmm. just could be interesting. I, I do think 
It was a really good film. I, I am anxious to see it again at some point. Okay. Yeah, because I will say going into it, I've got a you've got a different perspective on the film. Now that you having know, seen it, right. you go in and you start looking for things a little earlier on, and I think it'd be an interesting watch on a second run hmm. to see to see if it would hold up as well. Right. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But I thought, other than Ben Affleck, I thought all the performances <laughs> were solid. I thought the directing was solid. The story was very interesting. Um, the shifts, even though I knew there were surprises coming, they still caught me by surprise. Some of the choices that were made, some of the the plot twists. So, I, I enjoyed the film. I did. I, I had a good time with it. One more thing too. Uh, they did the music for Social Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atticus was it Finch or something? But then Trent Reznor is the one. That Atticus I, Finch is the uh, to kill Atticus a mockingbird Finch, guy. Yes, so that's yeah. not. I don't his think name that's probably. him. Probably no. is it Atticus something? It's Atticus something. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> they have done the music for this film as well. Yes. Uh, Trent Reznor is the big name that. I know because you know he's with Nine Inch Nails, but Atticus Ross and Trent Atticus Reznor. Ross. Okay, mm-hmm. so how do you feel like music was in this film? Uh, just like I do with any other Fincher film, it okay. worked. It's a pretty major thing. Just right, you know it. It was never it never pulled your attention away from what was going on, but you know that you're hearing some things in the background, some music and themes and compositions that are really affecting how you feel at the time. Sure. Again, I couldn't tell you any particular musical cues <laughs> or things that stood out to me. I just know the music worked. It's right. just one of those where you don't have to really pay attention to it. It just works. So cool. you do. Oh yeah. I was, I was aware going in that it was the same duo mm-hmm. that had helped with the social network. So yeah, I, I liked it and I thought it really added a lot to that. I, I will say, cause I, you, you mentioned social network and honestly, I completely even forgot, forgot to mention that when thing. we were talking about that. Uh, social networks are close second for me on favorite Fincher films. I really do like the social network. It's actually one that actually held up better for me on a second screen. Oh man. Yeah. I, I would say prior, that was my favorite Fincher yeah. prior to this. And I'm struggling with gone girl cause I'm still yeah. processing it. I still think social network. I like a little bit better than gone girl and then uh fight club. I still like better than social network. So probably gone girls, maybe in my third Favorite venture okay. film? I think I feel pretty confident in saying that right now. Okay. Um, so that's Gone Girl. Anything else we want to say? I mean, we may we may see if we have time at the end of the show if we want to break into a spoiler. We'll see how time goes. <laughs> but again, I hopefully we gave you enough of a review to know that yes, we're both recommending people go out and see it. We are saying you know, yes, there are twists and turns, but I think you can still go into this film even with that knowledge that those are going to happen and still find yourself entertained by the film can't say whether you're going to like it or not because again it does leave you with some opinions and feelings that may not be as likable i'll actually say you know i think it's a good film um my recommendation is actually a little bit is a little guarded because i think it's a tough watch Mm -hmm. i think it's a tough watch so you know i i wouldn't just say oh yeah everyone should go you know i'm actually a little guarded on my recommendation i think it is a good film but know that it's it's really heavy um, well, it's it's three films. <laughs> Two of the films are very heavy, the first and the third. I still say the second part. Uh, I'm still surprised, somewhat shocked by the tonal shift. I got you. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm overall I'm with you on that. Good film. Okay. So let's move on to our second review, which is a similar movie. To some to degree, crime. it's crime. There's a plot. There's missing person. There's abduction. Abduction. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. This is a film that you may not have heard much about. It's called Life of Crime, directed by Daniel Schechner. And uh, let's hear a little bit from it. 
Yeah. Frank? Tomorrow morning, you're gonna go to the bank and draw one million dollars out of your account and deposit to account number eight. Nine. Slow down. What am I, a stenographer? He filed for divorce. You tell him he's never gonna see his wife again? He doesn't want to see his wife again. You just saved him a hundred grand a year in alimony? Are you gonna kill me? You're a hunk, but you are a piss poor extortionist if you don't mind me saying. He's so dumb, it's adorable. Hey, you keep your wife out here, someone's liable to steal her. You promise? <laughs> Elmore Leonard was the writer for the book that uh, Life of Crime is based on. Elmore Leonard has had several movie adaptations, two of which I'm aware of. Alan, you may be aware of more, but the ones that I know of are Jackie Brown, yes, which was done by Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. and then also the movie with uh, Get Shorty that had Danny DeVito and John mm-hmm. Travolta. So those are two, and then both of those were successful. Yeah, there's a few others. I know there was an Owen Wilson film that didn't do as well. Um, okay. Maybe eight, ten years ago, that was based on an Elmore story. Okay. The Big Something. I don't remember the name of it offhand. The Big Bounce. Yes, that's it. I think that was an Elmore film story. Uh, There's been a couple others. Oh, and um, I'm sorry, another one that was hugely Mm -hmm. successful, Out of Sight. Oh, right, right, right. Sure, with uh, Clooney and uh, Jennifer Lopez. Yes, Steven Mm -hmm. Soderbergh film. Um, So, Daniel Schechter's take, he's a fairly new director coming on the scene. I think he's had one other movie Mm -hmm. um, that he's done. And he gets this huge cast. He gets Jennifer Aniston. He gets Will Forte. He gets Tim Robbins. And he makes this movie based off an Elmore Leonard novel. How do you feel like it came together? And honestly, a question I have for you is, why do you think more people don't know about this movie? Um, Seeing it has a huge cast based on um, an Elmore novel. Yeah, it's a good question why more people... I I liked the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't love it. It was a good fun breezy film it was kind of those you you watch you're like yep, okay that was fun and then you move on hmm. uh it's not one you dwell on a lot it's not a deep thinking film at all for me but i had a good time with it i like caper films in general i like when people are trying to formulate a plan of how to gain money or take care of a situation and it's involving a lot of moving parts and pieces and that's really what you had here you have your two lead criminals played by most deaf which i think is he going by a different name now? He is, yeah. Yeah, that I, threw me off. I'm forever going to call him Most Deaf. Oh, um, th- that's what's on the IMDb, so that's what I'm sticking with for this review. Most Deaf and John Hawks kind of star as Lewis and Ordell, which are two characters that uh, played by Samuel L. Jackson and Robert De Niro, De Niro in Jackie Brown. The so, Tarantino movie, right? Right. So these two are uh, uh, the same characters played by different people here. And they have a plot to kidnap a the wife of a very wealthy man to extort him to give money that he's supposedly holding out in an offshore account somewhere and they've got it all planned out what they don't count on is that he's got his own thing going on and he's had already planned on divorcing his wife so it all becomes kind of a a mess you it, know it is a mess it is a mess uh isla fisher as a mistress involved at one point and she kind of complicates matters for both sides a little bit more as well Again, I had fun with this film. Oh, it's man. just not one. <clears throat> it's not what I'm going to go sing from the rooftops because in the end of the day, it was like, okay, it was a fun film, but I did enjoy it. And I thought the performances were great. Actually, I think this is probably one of the best things I've seen Jennifer Aniston do. She was really good. Most deaf, I could take him or leave him, but I thought he was really fun. Really? No, normally, but in this <laughs> oh, film, normally, okay. normally in this film, he was really fun. Okay. I liked him a lot here. 
uh, Will Forte, kind of a smaller part, but I thought he was he was fun to watch. My favorite character probably was the uh, Richard Monk, which was the Nazi aficionado gun collector yes. that in the house where they were holding up, and he was. Everybody else was a pretty straightforward character. He was the one that was really like could have been out of a Tarantino film very very easily, and I think kind of added this extra layer of absurdity mm-hmm. to the whole situation. How do you um, Tim Robbins was fine playing the the husband. That you know, it, overall everything worked. Everything was good. I I liked the way it ended. It kind of it worked as a nice package film. I do wish it had gotten a wider release. I wish more people had seen it. Um, but it's not one I spent a whole lot of time thinking about afterwards. How about you? I, I actually did spend a whole lot of time thinking about it afterwards. And I think um, I'm, I'm really high on the film. And okay. I think part of the reason why is uh, I, I ignored Jack. I went and saw Jackie Brown when it first came out. And I wasn't really that big on it. And it was only recently. I think I've recommended it on this show as one of my uh, recommendations to go back and check out. But I revisited Jackie Brown and I really liked it. Okay. And I was, I'm now a pretty huge fan of it. So when I heard about this movie, I was like, okay, you know, it's, it was another book written by the same author, but it uses the same characters. You know, I Mm -hmm. I was very kind of sketchy, but I was curious about checking it out. And the events in this movie are, it's actually something that's very popular in Hollywood to do a prequel these days. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is because the events in this movie take place before Jackie Brown. Yes. And, I enjoyed being able to spend time with these characters as they're kind of learning how to become criminals, mm-hmm. the criminals that they would end up being in right. Jackie Brown. Um, and I just, I thought it was a really interesting movie having already seen Jackie Brown. Now, if I hadn't seen Jackie Brown, would I appreciate it as much? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed seeing the events unfold and I, I the balance of comedy and violence because yeah. there's some pretty violent things that happen, but mm-hmm. there are also a lot of, to me, I felt like a lot of funny moments. Oh, the, the, fun, well. the, the humor was really strong. Absolutely. And so I, I appreciated that. Um, John Hawks, who mm-hmm. we talked about in the sessions with Helen Hunt when we reviewed that a uh, couple years ago. Right. And he was also in uh, winter's bone. He yes. was one of the main actors in that. Um, I I want to see more of him. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. And that's actually it was kind of surprising to see him in this film because I, I really think he's an actor that's kind of on the rise, but yet we don't really see him doing a lot lately. And then he shows up in a film like this that a good film, but yet very underseen and went straight to video as far as I'm as far as I could tell. Uh, it's kind of surprising because after Winner's Bone, I mean, he was Oscar nominee. He yeah. was yeah. getting all this attention, and then even. Um, in Going the sessions, to, he got in the some, sessions, yeah. he got a lot of acclaim for that as well. And then after that, it was kind of a. I think he's done a couple smaller roles, and you don't really see him in much anymore, right. which was interesting. I thought, uh, but I did like his character in in this film well, for sure. What I thought was really cool too was Samuel Jackson's character played by Mo Steff, and then De Niro's character played by John Hawks. I really appreciated. I mean, I guess you could call it stunt casting, but the physical similarities between oh, sure. the people that yeah. played the characters in the different movies, because I really felt like I was watching a young De Niro when I was watching John Hawks, mm-hmm. like some of the mannerisms and the sometimes when he's trying to be like a smooth talker to, to women. So like yeah. it just, I don't know, it, it really, it really worked. Mm. Something that I want to mention to you too that I admired about the movie was 
when we look at movies, specifically I'm thinking of like American Hustle mm -hmm. um, and movies of that time that are trying to capture like a 60s, 70s time period, a lot of times to me they almost do it in a over-stereotypical way. And, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street, too, you know, they're trying to capture, like, the 80s and stuff. And it, right. it's almost distracting. And a lot of times, too, they, they make it garish. And that mm. could be the point of the movie is to make it garish. Not to, but I really liked how, with set design, they captured the time period. But they something that I haven't really seen in other movies before that captured this time period, they made it look beautiful, a lot mm, of times, mm -hmm. like the lighting and the way they would shoot some scenes in like the country club and everything. And just some scenes, even in the houses and stuff, when they were talking, it was just, the shots were very beautiful, like out of a Southern living magazine from back in that time period. Like yeah, they would show like a kitchen, that. a kitchen and it would just look, I know well, the look was right, but it wasn't done in like a, a mocking way. It was well, in like a loving, affectionate non-garish but know, you also look at those shots of the country club and of their house the uh jennifer Aniston, tim robbins character the dawson's comparing that to the house that half the film spends the time in which is the house the of the house. the kidnapping house the 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 the, the, the nazis uh, the nazi collector's house and right. all that and you know visually it's just it's it's jarring between the two which i know is meant to be i mean it's but i do agree with you on the time period it never hits you over the face. Oh, by the way, this is taking place in this time period. And look, and we've dropped in all these little Easter eggs to remind you that it's this time period. Right. It was very subtle, but it worked. I never felt like anything was forced or over the top, which uh, I think helped make the film a little more solid, too. Yeah. And that turns the story took, because there are where this film ends up and how it ends actually really surprised me. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, with similar tales like, kidnapping things happening in something like Gone Girl, Gone Girl or, you know, like Fargo. Um, and it's like, you know, to take a similar idea, you know, kidnapping, abductions, and to make a movie that felt this fresh to me, I was surprised that it could be done. Yeah. And the characters themselves, too, it is based on a book, but I felt like they were very nuanced. And there was a mm -hmm. lot to every single character. Even someone that could have been very throwaway was the mistress for Tim Robbins. Mm -hmm. And she was a lot more complicated than I think you get that would be in other movies or somebody sure. would give her a lot short, short shrift. Mm -hmm. And something that it kind of surprised me too was with given the time period this movie is set in, how strong female characters were in this movie. Mm -hmm. Granted, Jackie Brown, which you know uses the same characters by the same author, also obviously has a strong female character in Jackie Brown. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, just I thought I felt like there was a lot to... A lot to chew on. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually fairly... You're a big fan. I'm, I'm a big fan, yes. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Um, not as high on it as you, but uh sounds like both of us are saying, you know, hey, yeah, this is a film to check out. It's a, it's a good, fun film. It is a shame it didn't get more attention. But, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, and I, I hate to say this for Miss Aniston, I, I don't think she's quite the box office draw that I think uh, all hopes had been 10, 12 years ago that she would be after the whole Friends frenzy. But um, Friends, but I think I thought she was really good in this. I, I really enjoyed her part and her her role here. So I'm not I haven't seen her in too many things I was impressed with. But I think this is one where she did step outside of a little bit of a, a normal role and got to play a little bit and, and have some fun with it. So it was good to see. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's it's too bad more people probably won't see it. And I haven't really seen anything from her, like you say, since the Friends frenzy. But yes, 
don't know, overall, very solid film, and um, I would encourage more people to see it. All right, so that's <laughs> Life of Crime by director Daniel Schechner, based on a, a story by El, El, Elmore Leonard and Daniel Schechner doing the screenplay as well, starring Jennifer Aniston, Most Def, Isla Fisher, Will Forte, Tim Robbins, and several John Hawks and several others. So uh, it's on iTunes, Amazon, places you can rent online digital video. Uh, we encourage you to check it out. So that's been our two reviews, Gone Girl and Life of Crime. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got some movie news to go through, and then we've also got our recommendations that we want to cap off with as well. So stay tuned for Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm 2013 Greater Hickory Kia Classic Champion Michael Allen. Please join us at Rock Barn Golf and Spa for the 12th Annual Greater Hickory Kia Classic, October 13th through 19th. Watch me defend my title against two-time Masters winner Bernhard Langer, two-time Hickory winner Jay Haas, Kenny Perry, Fred Funk, Champions Tour rookie Lee Jansen, and a fantastic field of Champions Tour players. Weekly grounds badges are just $50. Individual tickets are $20 per day. Get your tickets today at greaterhickorykiaclassic.com. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. You heard us give our reviews of Gone Girl and Life of Crime before the break. Both of them ones we do recommend you check out. One in movie theaters, one online, probably by the time you listen to this. So Chris, this is the part of the show where we always uh, like to bat around some news items. So, you yes. know, we, we're not we're not industry insiders in Hollywood. We're reading these news just not like yet. not yet. <laughs> the master plan is to get the there. Day will come. But we do have a lot of interesting stories that we come across that we just kind of like to throw them out there and see what each other's reaction is. Uh, either movies in production, ones that are rumored to get started, uh, interesting choices actors or directors are making, all that. So let's get started. Uh, is it okay if I go first? Absolutely. All right. Let me go to one because I know this is going to key off of a, a news item or something we've talked about fairly recently. Okay. I believe you gave Ghostbusters as a recommendation not too long ago because you rewatched it again and you were restating its status as an awesome movie. Yes. Okay. So I think we've had some rumors about whether or not there was going to be a new Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. They've been floating. That's out batted there. around yeah. quite a bit. There's been a lot of rumors. Well, it has been confirmed that there is a new Ghostbusters film for real okay. happening, and it is going to be starring female cast, uh, okay. female Ghostbusters. Okay. This is confirmed by the director. We don't have names signed. for the No, we don't have the actress okay. names, okay. but Paul Feig, who, or Feig, right? Feig, Feig, yeah, he directed uh, Bridesmaids, and he also directed The Heat with Melissa McCart- McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. Okay, so he's batting about 50-50 right yeah, now. Yeah, he's kind of a hot property right now in Hollywood. Okay. He seems to have a pretty good voice on female characters and putting them into good comedic situations. So he has been signed on as a director, and they have a writer assigned as well hmm. to write the script, who is a female. Okay. Uh, so it is definitely going the female Ghostbusters route. Now, interesting. Let me give you one more aspect that he. Do we have any committals from any of the original cast to make any kind of cameo? Well, that's where I'm getting to. Okay. So, also during an interview, Mr. Feig or Feig, I'm sorry, I apologize, however I'm pronouncing your name, was asked a lot about where, what the kind of, the, what the tone of the film is going to be. Sure. They are planning on at this point it being a hard reboot, no reference to the original films. That's pretty bold. Yes, it is. 
Now, there could be a couple reasons why they're doing this. He plays it off as he likes origin stories. He would rather have a situation where a ghost invasion happens and the city's never been through one before to kind of give it a fresh take. Oh, yes. It's still going to be absolutely absolutely going to be a comedy. Because a hard reboot with it not being a comedy would be kind of interesting. Oh, no, no. It's definitely going to be a comedy. There's no doubt about that. But he kind of said, I love origin stories. He's like, I really want it to be where. When this happens, this ghost invasion or whatever, it's like it's never happened in our world before. So everybody's freaking out about it. He said, if I tied it back to the old, then this is something that's been going on for a while and it's not really new and fresh. Now, that's his PR speak on why it's going to be a hard (laughs) reboot. My take on it is Bill Murray is still not on board. Says heck no. And Harold Ramis is no longer with us. Right, he passed away. So who do you have left? You have Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson. And I think they're probably realizing that just bringing back out Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson for cameos in a movie just to tie it back is probably not enough box office power to really make it worthwhile to do. That's my guess on it. Regardless, that's where they're going with it. It's going to be a fresh new, like, like the old Ghostbusters never happened. Female cast over under on whether or not Melissa McCarthy is going to be. Oh, I cast. well, I guarantee you, <laughs> like Melissa McCar- McCarthy. She's dead. and uh, Kristen Wiig. And really? Kristen Wiig. Okay. Oh, okay. I guarantee you, they're going to be. Okay. I guarantee you, they will be pitched really hard to do this. Now, whether or not their agents get them to sign on to do it, I don't know. But I guarantee you, they're going to be in the front running conversation talks about this right away. Okay, let's just have Tina Fey. Oh. Amy Poehler. And Amy Poehler. Done. Tina Fey. Casting done. Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Melissa McCarthy, and Kristen Wiig. That's your four Ghostbusters. Now, granted, we need some diversity in there. Like I was about to say, done except for the fact we need some diversity. So who are we going to sub out for some diversity? I'll tell you who. I think there's a there. I think there's a girl on Saturday Night Live they've got now. uh, uh, Zamita uh, Zamita Sharar, I believe, is her name. Really, really funny, and uh, I could see her being kind of a breakout role for something. Um, in that situation, you know what? I say we drop, uh, I say we drop Amy Poehler. Okay. I say Tina Fey. Tina Fey looks like she could be a Ghostbuster. Okay. I like Tina Fey. Yeah, I do too. You know, I have not seen her in a movie that I've liked yet though. Yeah. I don't think. Mm, I don't, I, you may have, you may I, be I like there. her a lot. I like her in sitcom stuff, but something yeah. about long form movies have never really translated. But she well. could play a Ghostbuster. I, she could play the very, very intelligent, kind of maybe socially awkward. All, yeah. She could do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think Melissa McCarthy, you got to have in there to have the boisterous, very right. abrasive yes. person. Yes. Then I think you bring in uh, this this girl from Saturday Night Live. I'm talking about who I think is really funny, and that could be kind of your breakout role. People may not know her, but that could really be a star setting role for Me her. Included in the. And then uh, I think Kristen Wiig is kind of your big star power. She's kind of got the clout right now to be uh, to be the the ringleader in a way. Okay. See, we've done it. We've done perfectly it. cast it. Okay. So that's where Ghostbusters is going. Ah, you feel good about it? You know, even though traditionally you and I, especially me, we stray away from trailers because I, I will I will reserve judgment until I see a trailer. For so this. this one is a you have to see the trailer to make a judgment. Yeah, on I'll it. see a trailer, and if it looks like it's going to be good, then I'll see it. But you know, I, I am I am trepidatious just because none of the original names are attached. Nothing yeah. is you know. So it's a hard reboot, but it's kind of like why reboot this? And it seems like a cash grab, but I'll reserve saying, you know, I'm not, I guess I'm not excited about it. I am not excited okay. about it. You know, you're, but you're 
you're willing to sit it out and wait and see what happens. Yeah, you know, sit out. The trailer comes. Trailer on, comes out. Really good. Trailer's good. You're on board. Right. Okay. Well, and I, the other thing I'll mention that he said in his interview, which I do kind of like, is that he does what also want to make it scary. So he is looking for comedy, but also scary. Which you know, the original Ghostbusters had a couple frightening moments in it. Um, I'm all for making it a scary comedy. Hmm. That's fine by me. I think we need more of those ones where you know you've got some. Comedic elements, but it's mixed in with some a little more intense. I mean, it doesn't have to be like gruesome, gory stuff, but it can just be a little frightening stuff. Hmm. That's a good Ghostbusters movie. I'm okay with that. That would be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What do you got for us? Alan, you know, you just talked about a reboot, remake. So, you know, we've often wondered what could be some original material that someone could bring to the table. There's no more original material. Well. Oh, you have one? How about making a movie of... Tetris. Uh. <laughs> okay. You had me excited for a second no, there. No. And then... Okay. You say, uh, no. but really? Are you serious? Well, just... Okay. Keep in mind, <laughs> they have made a Lego movie. They have made a Pirates of the Caribbean movie that was from mm. a Disney ride that had been around since the 1960s. Yeah. Okay. Now, I know you didn't like the sequels to the Pirates, but the original Pirates. Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep going. All right. But then they have done things like Battleship. And right. The Ouija movie, which it's, I haven't seen the Ouija board. There's movie no characters in Tetris. Well, it's okay. blocks. So, so actually some people that were involved, they supposedly got the idea from the Lego movie. Like, okay, well let's take something like, <laughs> I'm sure every board game and <laughs> like, okay, possible puzzle here? thing now is being pitched as a movie. But the thing is, it's said to be like, it's in the early stages. There's no director <laughs> or cast, but they have said it is going to be a big budget, of course. Sci-fi. Of course. Epic type. Yes. Thing. Right. Of course it is. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't get it. How Lego, I can completely get because Lego is an entire culture of toys and characters and sets and all this thing. building. Knowing, Get, knowing uh, absolutely nothing about it. I am intrigued. Make, okay. I dare them. Make a movie out of Tetris. And make it good. Like Battleship, it's obvious. It's going to be a bunch of like battleships, like fighting. Okay. That's done. <laughs> But Tetris, I'm like, it's literally blocks falling from the sky, and you have to get them in straight lines, and they disappear. Like, here's what you do to make me I'm interested like, in this all right, film. I, 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 game on. I want to. No, I no. Wanna see here's this what you do to make it interesting to me. Okay. You assign a really off the wall director, and challenge them. <laughs> Werner Herzog doing a Tetris movie. Amazing. Yeah. I'd be on board. So you'll have the block, and the block fall into place. <laughs> and if it don't fall into place, it's gone. <laughs> you know, just Nine make it. against nature. Do a, Tetris against that's nature. That's right. David Lynch. Do a David Lynch yeah, Tetris film. Yeah, yeah. Something. Make it really, like, bizarre. Tarantino. And I'm on board. <laughs> but if they just get, you know, the latest uh, Fast and Furious director or... Something like that, and it becomes uh, just a big action movie with giant blocks falling all over the place, and people got to save themselves <laughs> so from it. So a Michael Bay Tetris movie, Ugh. not excited about no. it. No. No, and neither would I be. But I just, something about it just sounds like, I'm like, okay, I'd like to see you make a movie out of it. So you're looking at it as more of a dare. Like, can they right. do this and pull this off? Okay. But I am I am definitely interested, because if you would have told I'm like, no, there's no way. If you would have read me off a list of what mm. are they going to make a movie, I'd be like, are you serious, Tetris? But yeah, I'm... I'm interested. All right. Fine. We'll, we'll <laughs> see. I just, I don't have any confidence whatsoever. Okay. Speaking of Quentin Tarantino, you brought him up just a second ago. Um, you know, he does have a new film that he's working on right now called The Hateful Eight. Okay. And I think we talked a little bit about some of the controversy with this several months ago. Uh, he had a script for this film that got leaked 
somehow a couple movie websites leaked it somehow or somebody he gave the script to to review it actually leaked it to somebody else i have a problem believing that that can still happen in these days yeah true well it's like, but i also think quentin tarantino probably has everything on printed manuscript so old school, so old school that yeah. somebody could just take it and photocopy it and send yeah. it somewhere else and it's like by being so old school he's kind of opened himself up to a lot of these things okay so he got ticked off and said i'm not making it screw everybody i'm not making the Which hateful i remember hate. when i heard that i was like really yeah i hate the fact that like everybody. then he did a live table read of the script just for kicks then he changed his mind decided yeah we're gonna make it <laughs> so they are making the hateful eight okay now um there were rumors that jennifer lawrence was going to be involved Okay. Um, but I think those fell through. But he it just got announced who is going to be the official lead hmm. in The Hateful Eight. It is a female character. And he's pulling a John Travolta. He is taking somebody that we oh, haven't seen. Okay, okay. We haven't seen a whole lot of in a while. Okay. They were really popular in the 80s. Okay. They've still been in films here and there, but oh. not in oh, a big man. role. Okay, because I had somebody, but Did they haven't been yeah. in films. Linda uh, Carter. <laughs> no, wouldn't that be cool? Yes. No, it's not her. But not her. Um, okay. Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh. Is going to be the lead of the Hateful Eight, hmm. um, kind of doing a Travolta, taking somebody who's not out of show business, right? But taking someone whose stature has been diminished quite a bit, right? And trying to give them high profile visibility in a big feature film with Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Now she was in the Spectacular Now, which I know you were a really big fan of. She was the mother, Miles Teller's mother. Yeah. Which you really liked the yeah. scene she was in. I did too. Yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten she was in that, but yep. yes. Okay. She was in The Spectacular Now. She was in uh, Synecdoche, New York. Okay. Kill Your Darlings. I never saw that one, but she was in that. So she's had some small independent roles she's been in. But yep, she is going to be the uh, the number one huh. on that with the new Quentin, Tar- Tar- Quentin Tarantino film. Well, you know, good good for her. Yeah. I could see that being, uh, that could be pretty interesting. I'm actually glad they didn't go Jennifer Lawrence because I think that would have been distracting. I, and I think she's a good actress, but after all the Hunger Games stuff, I'm kind of done with her. Not kind of like, her, but I'm just kind of like I wasn't really terribly excited about Jamie Foxx being in Django Unchained. Although I think he did fine. Sure. But I was afraid his star power was going to overshadow the production. Luckily it didn't. Sure. I would have been worried with Jennifer Lawrence's star power being a little too much for the Tarantino film. Do we know if uh, Christoph Waltz is going to be in this at all? Uh, I haven't heard. I I don't know of it. Um, Okay. Yeah, I I have not seen it. Because, I mean, if so, that would be three films in a row that Tarantino is done with. But I... I think they somehow they oddly enough work. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Together, so huh. well, I'm I'm excited, and you know, Jennifer, Miss 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 Jason Lee still holds a really really fun part in place in my heart for uh, the Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, yeah. I still. Some people hate her performance in that movie. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I think it's hilarious. So okay. I'm ready to see her act again on a, on a big screen. All right, what have you got for us? Okay, so I talked about original idea. Mm-hmm. You've talked about reboot. Well. Okay, I'm going to throw out a, not necessarily a reboot, but a sequel of sorts. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Leslie Mann is in talks and basically has signed on to do a, along with, let me read you some other names, along with Ed Helms. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, I know where this is going. And Chris Hemsworth yep. and Christina Applegate. Yep. They have all signed on to basically do a remake reboot of sorts. Of the 1983 movie Vacation, yes. which I have recommended at one point. Yes. Now, Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase 
are on board to do cameos, and they will be doing cameos as Clark Griswold. Yes. You know, they'll be doing cameos as their original characters. Well, because Ed Helms is going to play. He's the grown-up Rusty. The son, Rusty. Right. Leslie Mann from uh, Knocked Up fame, mm-hmm. correct? And uh, this is 30. And this is 30. Uh, 40-year-old virgin. Yeah. So, Okay. So, you know, there's there's kind of a setup and Ed Helms is playing a grown up Rusty. And the whole idea is he is trying to get his family to go on a vacation. Uh-huh. And I think he makes a stop at Audrey's house, who I guess is Christina Applegate, maybe. And like he somehow touches base with his family as he's trying to make this big, you know, family travel to wherever. Now, my understanding, oh, okay. I, I could be wrong. Huh? My understanding was that Leslie Mann was going to be playing Audrey. Oh, okay, okay. And okay. I think Christina okay. Applegate is playing Rusty's wife. wife. Okay, that's probably, okay. Yep. But still. Yeah, either way. Okay. Could be very funny. It okay. could be very funny. Okay. Now, what concerns me is it's rare or fairly new uh, script writers, and they are also making their directorial debut with this mm. film. So they're writing the script, and then they're going to direct it. So here, here's, my, here's my take on directors with comedy. And I hope I'm not offending any directors out there. John Daly and John Goldstein. So the two Johns. I I really hope I don't offend any directors out there, but I don't think directors in a comedy are as important. Ooh. I think with a comedy is all script writers and it's all the actors on the screen delivering the lines. I've seen some really horribly directed comedies and you have (laughs) to that are hilarious because of the script and the actors. Okay. I don't want to say that it's kind of the way sitcoms work is that as long as you just point the camera at the people and let them deliver the lines, it's going to be funny, hmm. but it's a little bit of that mentality. Okay. So me hearing first time directors on a comedy stacked with a lot of funny people, I'm not worried about it. If this was a drama or science fiction or horror or whatever, then yeah, mm-hmm. I do want to see some good directorial skills. But here with a comedy, if you've got Ed Helms, who I think is funny, Leslie yeah. Mann, I think is very funny. Christine Applegate, very funny in the Anchorman movies. Yeah. Um, it, Chevy Chase. Okay. I don't think he's funny anymore, <laughs> but if it's just a cameo role right. and he gets to play Clark Griswold, awesome. Right. Uh, my understanding is Chris Helmsworth is playing Audrey's husband or boyfriend okay. or something. Sure. Um, and that's, anyway, that's Thor, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like Thor, Thor guy. Thor. Yeah. So, you know, so you got a funny setup of people on a funny premise. The whole idea of a family vacation can always be made to be funny with the right script. So I don't care about the directors, you know, <laughs> They could let me direct it, and I, we could still make it funny, I think. so. That'd be cool. We could make some good money. Yeah, I think so, too. Another okay. idea for Hollywood, hire us to direct the next film. We'll be a lot cheaper. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. The last thing I was going to bring up on my end, this one I'm not – I'm just I'm more curious your take on it. So The Da Vinci Code? Yes. That movie and book from many years ago, the Dan Brown novel, then the film with uh, Ron Howard directing Tom Hanks. I hated the movie. I read three quarters of the book and I really didn't like the movie at all. I actually didn't like the book either, but that was just me. <laughs> um, so anyway, they made a sequel to the Da Vinci code angels and demons, which oddly enough took place before like the book itself took place before the events in Da Vinci. Code. Right. So it's kind of like they were making them a little weird. Order. Yeah. But yeah. so Ron Howard directed that one too. That one did not do as well financially right. at the box office. And that was last done, gosh, how long has it been? Seven years? Wow. It came out in 2009, Angels and Demons. Okay, so that was, yeah, Angels and Demons came out in 2009. Da Vinci Code came out. Like 2005? Yeah. Something like that. So what they're talking about now is supposedly they're working on Inferno. The third one is supposed to come out at the end of 2015. 
they just announced that they've moved it now to October 2016, like a whole year later. Hmm. So the rumor is that it may not ever happen. I mean, by that point, it would have been honestly like seven years in is between it, movies. Do you know, I, I know the book is coming. Is, is it following the same Robert Langdon character? Yes, because it Tom is. Hanks is supposedly okay, so attached to it right now. To it. Yeah. And is Ron Howard still directing? Uh, yes. Interesting. Yep. Ron Howard is attached to direct Dan Brown adaptation, Tom Hanks starring. Hmm. It was supposed to come out December 18th, which happened to be the date that a little independent film called star Wars episode seven is set to come out. (laughs) I think we'll move. I think we'll kick this down the road. (laughs) And the fact that it was a whole year later kind of makes everybody think that maybe they don't have their act together yet to do this. Do you, I mean, should we, should we even see millions of dollars get spent to do this? The last one didn't really perform very well. There's so much time has passed now. Kind of the whole Dan Brown phase is gone. Nobody's talking about those novels anymore. Do you have any interest or think there'll be any interest uh, with anybody in, to see this film? Uh, you know, it could, I, it, it could be a fun popcorn movie. Mm. I think that, you know, I, I think... I'd rather just they, eat the popcorn <laughs> and watch something else. <laughs> they end up being a pseudo intellectual Indiana Jones movie, you know, cause everybody's say running around solving puzzles and that type of thing. I like Tom Hanks. I think he's a good actor. Sure. You know, if they bother, if they do end up bothering to make the movie, eh, you know, I'd probably see it. Here's Would the, I run out and see it? Probably not. Here's but it the could sad be thing song. about that Da Vinci code movie. I actually liked national treasure with Nicholas cage better. Wow. Does that tell you something right there? If you got to go with somebody that's a little supposed to be a more intellectual Indiana Jones doing puzzles and clues and all that, I liked National Treasure a whole lot more and enjoyed it a whole lot more than I did The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code was by the numbers, step by step by step. We go to one spot, we learn something. Now we have to go to step two. Now we learn something new. Now we go to step three. Oh my gosh, we learned something new there too. Then we go to step four. It was just so linear and just odd pace and just not fun. Hmm. So I definitely want a new adventurer anthology series. I want a new adventurer because Indiana Jones is kind of, you know, the last one was not very good. <laughs> no. no. Uh, they are supposedly talking about a fifth one, of course, milking that dry. Sure. I'd love to see them reboot Indiana Jones at some point with somebody completely new. But I like the idea of having an adventurer who's more intellectual and more puzzles and research and all. I just, I think it's Ron Howard was probably the problem director. Wow. Um, okay. Throwing Howard under the bus. I think so. I don't think it's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks was good. He he played the role he's supposed to play. I just think, director wise, it was a kind of a weak directorial effort. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Inferno has been pushed to 2016. Whether anybody cares or not, so <laughs> just letting everybody know. All right. Is that our news? That is. Okay. Well, what we do after the news, we always go into our recommendations. This is where we talk about a film. That we think you ought to check back out. It could be one that's from the past. It could be one we've seen recently, maybe slipped under somebody's radar, maybe just one we want to put a little more spotlight back on, hasn't had for a while. Anything goes. Films that we can find online or some other method that you could actually check out. Chris, what have you got for us today on your pick for the episode? Well, I'm trying to get a little seasonal here. We are in October. Halloween's coming up. So I'm going to recommend a horror movie, which is not something I normally do because horror movie is not really my genre. But... um. This one, I, it came out this past summer in the United States. I think it was, it's a British production, so it may have come out in 2013 over there. But mm-hmm. it's called Oculus. And mm. it actually did rather well at the box office. Um, so I was like, you know what? I kind of stored that one away for like, okay, as it gets closer to Halloween, I'm going to watch it. And if it's any decent, I'll recommend it. 
Well, it is. Um, it stars uh, Karen Gillian, which is also she's like in the Doctor Who series. That's oh, right. popular. Over in, uh, she was in Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yes, she was unrecognizable, but yes. she was in it. Uh, and then Katie Sackoff, who was in uh, Battlestar uh, Galactica. Starbuck. Yes, Starbuck. She is also in Oculus. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, uh, the, one of the reasons I didn't go to the theater to see it, even though I was hearing good things about it. Is it because they were touting it as by the makers of paranormal activity and insidious? Mm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't, you know, that's what they're trying to get you to drag right. you to see this from is the hype off those other movies. So I was skittish, but I finally said, okay, I'll see it. I thought it was really interesting the way mm. they had character development. And basically the story is uh, Karen Gillian plays an adult and she gets her brother. He has been in a mental institution basically, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he gets out and she then wants to try to exonerate her brother who was convicted of murder by proving that instead of him committing the crime, it was a supernatural phenomenon that committed the crime. Okay. And it all centers around this big, creepy-looking antique mirror mm-hmm. that supposedly throughout history has caused all these really, really bad things to happen. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I liked the, this. It was shot well. I thought the acting was really cool. Now, I will say... The difference between this being a good to great movie, kind of the last maybe 15, 20 minutes, it does kind of devolve into typical like scare horror, mm-hmm. you know, which is what it's supposed to be. But the, the original or the first like 45 minutes or something, it's a lot of like psychological and what if type things. You're not really sure which narrator or which person you can trust hmm. and who's All right. who's point that of sounds view. interesting. And they do a lot of flashbacks, and you're not really sure what is valid from the flashbacks and what aren't. So it's a really interesting, like, narrative choices they're making. Right. But unfortunately, the, you know, closing 15 or 20 minutes do just kind of devolve into, yeah, like, pack slash type stuff. But well, was it is it? original mm-hmm. enough that I think it's worth seeing, especially, you know, it's Halloween. You want to see yeah. a scary movie. I mean, was it scary, though? Uh, yes. Okay. I thought it was scary. All right. So that, like, you know... Watching it at home alone, especially if you're in a room that has a big mirror, that might be problematic uh, for you. Right. Okay. <laughs> so hey, it's, good. It's it's rather good. And it's, I like you know, it when you recommend something a little outside of your normal wheelhouse. Yeah, there, so that's and it's good. you know it's 104 minutes, so it's not over long. Nice and tidy. So yeah, good. All right, so that was Oculus. Oculus, correct. Got it. And it's all on right. it's on iTunes. So. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so at the top of the show, we reviewed Gone Girl. Yes. And I made a little aside about my dislike in general for Ben Affleck. Okay. <laughs> it's an ongoing theme here. I have a certain bank of actors that I just don't care for. So are you doing an unrecommendation of Gili or something? <laughs> no. Uh, ben Affleck, you know, the thing is when Ben Affleck showed up in this movie I'm going to recommend, I really thought he was a really good actor to the point where I'm like, oh, I want to see this guy act again. And then I think I saw Armageddon. I'm like, no, I don't want to ever see this guy act again. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if you could pin that on. Come on. Are you well, he was Armageddon part. He was part of the the mass. Hey, I'm. Oh man. No, we won't go into Armageddon. No, that's that's, that's a, a whole six hour discussion. That's a whole. We'll do a special episode on Armageddon one day. Uh, Chasing Amy, okay. uh, Kevin Smith film, right from 1997. Right. This was, I believe, his third feature film. I think he had made Clerks and he mm-hmm. made uh, Mallrats. Okay. And then he did Chasing Amy. Now, I think Ben Affleck might have had a small part in Mallrats, but this was his first, as far as I know, leading lead, role. Right. Yes. He, uh, he stars as Holden McNeil, McNeil and uh, basically he falls for a girl named Alyssa. And it's a pretty simple plot. He falls for Alyssa and then finds out Alyssa's gay. And that's pretty much the movie. <laughs> but 
I, I like this film. It's my favorite of Kevin Smith's films for several reasons. Hmm. One, it's the most authentic to me. Where I think Clerks was fun. Right. Mallrats had some humor to it. This one started to get real. I actually felt like the situations, the dialogue that people were having were starting to be real dialogue. Hmm. It was adult. It was like they're having serious conversations about relationships. And it was a little a bit of a take back, even though even though you have Silent Jay and, and um, what's the other guy's name? Silent Bob and Jay. Silent Jay Bob and Jay. Silent Jay, Jay and yeah. Silent Bob. Right. Gosh, I just totally butchered that. <laughs> uh, you've got Kevin Smith playing uh, Silent Bob. Right. And even though they're in the film and they do the little comic relief thing, there's even a, a scene where they kind of break down and Silent Bob has a somewhat emotional little soliloquy. Mm-hmm. And it's like the characters are all growing up a little bit. And I really liked Ben Affleck in this role. I liked Joey Lauren Adams as Alyssa Jones as well. I just thought the film worked. It's my favorite of his whole uh, New Jersey universe right. you know, he's got with these characters. Right. The ones he just can't seem to let die because <laughs> supposedly he did this film and then he did Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Oh, he did Dogma. Oh, Dogma. That's right. Dogma and then Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Right. Supposedly that was going to be it. No more. The whole universe of these characters is done. Sure. Then he came back for Clerks 2 and he said that was going to be it. And actually Clerks 3 is on the horizon. I know. That's what I was going to say. He's got the funding for Clerks 3. Right. So I kind of wish the characters would just have their little set of films and be done and not this whole we're done. No, we're not done. And we're done. No, we're not done. (laughs) But regardless of all the ones that he's done in that universe, I still think Chasing Amy is my favorite. And I will say Mr. Affleck did a great job in it. He was good. Um, Probably should have just retired right after that film came out, (laughs) 1997. Then he would have never gotten his Oscars for Argo. Hey, as a director, I have no qualms with him. I do think Argo was a well-directed movie, and I admire him for making Argo. I just wish he'd put somebody else in the lead role. That's all. It would have been a great film if it wasn't for him in that lead acting role. Okay. So Chasing Amy, check it out. Uh, not one for the kiddies. Uh, no. No, no. <laughs> not only language and situations and everything else. It's very adult. Um, but a uh, good movie. Cool. All right. So I think we're done, Chris. We are. That was Gone Girl, Life of Crime, both recommended by us. Uh, both worth seeing. We had a lot of news items to cover, a lot of interesting stories happening in the world of film and movies these days. And then we have our recommendations. We had Oculus, mm-hmm. very interesting Yes. Recommendation from Mr. Fry, Chasing Amy from me, if you want to see Ben Affleck in a acting nicely in a good movie. <laughs> uh, so with that, we're going to wrap up. As always, this is on the mesh.tv, our podcast network. If you have any questions for us or want to give us any feedback, you can reach us through the mesh.tv. You can do that through our contact us button. There's a little simple form on the website. You can reach out to us, drop us a note, ask us a question. Tell us if you agree or disagree with any of the reviews or news that we gave our input on. Um, You can also, if you want to learn a little bit more about uh, the mesh, you can just dig around all of the other episodes and shows and find out what else is going on there. Chris, how's, how's other ways people can reach out to us? Uh, the letterbox is also, yes, you can follow us on there. I'm just Chris Fry, your Alan Jackson. Keep track of what movies we may not be talking about on the show or 
we I try to write little quick reviews, but don't always. You do, and they're normally very very entertaining. So. I, I try. I yeah. think one of my most recent ones was uh, my son and I watched the uh, latest Transformers debacle. Ugh. So yes, I finally so I can now talk bad about it because I now actually have. You're not a hypocrite anymore. That's right. Yeah, I've you can actually it. back up your 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 spite. That's nice. Good. Um, and then uh, of course our Foot Candle website too. So yep, uh, people can find out more about our film society, Foot Candle Film Society, at footcandle.org. Go there and check out and see what kind of screenings we're hosting here in the uh, Western North Carolina area. And uh, come join us. You know, be our guest. Let us know if you're going to be in the area and drop by for one of our screenings. We'd love to have you there. So with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Okay. Sound good to you? Good. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate your time. We will talk to you next episode. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.